Well, I'm going to join with Robert in wishing a good morning to each and every one of you again. So glad you are with us today. I was thinking uh, last night about this morning's message, and as I was uh, looking over the lesson that I prepared to share with you, I uh, realized that in the average lifespan, there are about 4,000 Sundays. And I want to thank you for spending this one here on this Lord's Day. Every Lord's Day, we need to remember God's promise to us that he will honor those who honor him. We find that promise given in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30. And personally, I can't think of a better way to honor God than coming together on the Lord's Day in the Lord's house with the Lord's people to worship and praise him. So thank you so much for being a part of our worship assembly this morning. If someone asked you for the dimensions of your house, you could easily figure them out by measuring the length, the width, the height, and the depth. Using appropriate mathematical formulas, you could calculate how much square footage and cubic feet of space you have in your home. But if someone asks you for the dimensions of our Lord's love, where would you begin looking for such an answer? Well, Robert read to us this morning from 1 John chapter 4, and in the reading, verse 8 tells us that God is love. And since the Bible teaches us that our God is love, I suggest that we go to the Bible to find out the dimensions of our Lord's love. Let's turn over to Ephesians chapter 3. In Ephesians chapter 3, it's a good place to begin. I'm going to read verses 14 through 21. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, as we look at this blessing that we so beautifully enjoy as God's children, knowing that the great God that we worship and service is love. And I want to thank Nolan for leading us in so many love songs this morning, Uh, beautiful hymns of praise uh, that honor and adore God and remind us of how much we are loved by our Heavenly Father. Well, Paul puts it this way in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning with verse 14. Paul writes and he says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the width and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, 
which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Did you notice what Paul says here in verses 17, 18, and 19? Let's focus our attention on those three verses again. Paul says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the width and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. As we look at verse 18, we see that the Apostle Paul wants all saints to comprehend the width and length and depth and height of the Lord's great love for us. Now, when we have a good understanding of the Lord's love for us, we will be better able to love one another and to truly love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength as Jesus taught us to in Mark chapter 12, verse 30. Now, in the remainder of the time that we have together this morning, we're going to take a look at the length, the width, the height, and the depth of our Lord's great love. We'll start with the width. What is the width? Of our Lord's love. Well, I want to suggest to you that God's love is so great that it easily spans the widest ocean. Ellen and I have stood on the shores of both the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans in our travels that we've taken around the country. I'm going to share with you the story of our very first visit to the ocean. This is the Atlantic Ocean. The place, Daytona Beach, Florida, in May of 1972. I understand there's a big race going on down in Daytona today, uh, the Daytona 500. Well, we were there back in May of 1972. It was our first trip to Florida. It was my first time to see an ocean. Being raised in Michigan, I had seen the Great Lakes And I very much wanted to see an ocean and compare uh, what it looked like to look out across an ocean with looking out across one of the Great Lakes. And so I was extremely thrilled when we arrived at Daytona Beach. And I was even more thrilled when I saw that people were driving up and down the beach in their vehicles. There were vans, there were trucks, there were cars. And uh, so it was, I saw that there, were, uh, there was a place on the beach where there must have been at least a dozen or more cars parked there, right out on that sandy beach, Daytona Beach. And I said to Ellen, well, let's just drive out there and park with them. We'll fall in line. And so we did. And we were in a brand new Pontiac Le Mans. 
which very nearly became a boat when the ocean tide came in. We arrived at low tide, and I parked too close to the water's edge. Well, after walking along the beach for a couple of hours and taking pictures and just enjoying being there, I was told that the tide was coming in. So we decided we better get back to our car and move it. And when we went back to move our car to higher ground, I'm fiddling around, searching all of my pockets. Well, you guessed it. This beautiful sky blue, brand new Pontiac Le Mans, it had our car keys. Ellen didn't have hers because I had locked her purse in the trunk. And her set of car keys were in her purse, which now was in the trunk. And then it dawned on me, you know, I don't remember putting my keys in my pocket when I opened the trunk to get the camera out and put Ellen's purse in. What did I do with those keys? Well, lo and behold, they were safe and secure, locked in the trunk. (laughs) Oh, we were in trouble. Big trouble. Because it's amazing how much the tide can rise when it starts coming in. And so it was that not able to find either set of keys because I realized where they were at, it looked to me like our brand new sky blue Pontiac Le Mans was about to become a boat that would not float. And we had to do something and we had to do it in a hurry. And everybody else who was parked in the same row we were in, they had gone. They had left and there we were alone. Well, there was a security officer that was going up and down the beach and he was telling people about the tide coming in, you better move back. And so I told him what the situation was. And fortunately, there are locksmiths at Daytona Beach who make their living helping those who are ignorant of the ocean's tremendous power and how the tides work there. And we were able to get a hold of a locksmith. He just went up and down the beach at a little cart. And he just helped people out like us who had locked themselves out of their cars, get back into their cars. And I will say that in time, we were able to get our car off the beach into higher ground and keep it for several more years. But it was a close call. And I said many a prayer, and Ellen did too, that that locksmith would be able to get into the car, tear out the back seat, and get into the trunk and get our keys out so we could get that car going and move it. Well, Ellen and I have enjoyed the sight of looking out over the Atlantic Ocean and the Pacific Ocean, and we've marveled at the mighty expanse of ocean water before us, water just as far as your eye can see. We cannot see across the ocean waves to the other side. That's an impossibility for us. But God can. And he does. 
You see, the oceans, the seas, the lakes and rivers were created by God's awesome power. And by God's amazing grace, his love spans them all to reach you and me. Now, in many places, the Bible tells us about the width of God's great love for us. I like Jesus' statement in John 3.16. That's probably the most famous love verse in the whole Bible. Jesus says, for God so loved the world. Think about it now for a moment. God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Here this morning, we have husbands who love their wives. We have wives who love their husbands. We have parents who love their children. And we have children who love their parents. And as Christians, we have brothers and sisters in Christ in this worship assembly who love one another. Now, that's a whole lot of love right here in this worship assembly. But all of the human love in our church assembly today is just a drop in the world's oceans when compared to God's great love for us. Just a drop in the ocean. The Lord's love spans the widest oceans. And the Lord's love encompasses the whole wide world. It's not limited by skin color, race, or one's nationality. It's not restricted by immense wealth or miserable poverty. It's not confined by one's advanced higher education or abject ignorance. No matter who or what we are, our God loves us. And God wants us to be saved through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Repentance of our sins, public confession of Christ, and Christian baptism. Many here have embraced God's love by believing and obeying the gospel commands of Christ. Yet there may be some here today who have not obeyed the gospel of Christ. And if that's your situation, then I want to say to you, In the love of Almighty God, that our minister, our elders, our deacons would be more than happy to assist you in rendering obedience to those gospel commands of Jesus. And so it is the width of God's great love. We cannot begin to measure the width of God's love for us. Let's consider the length of our Lord's love. Just a few miles west of where Ellen and I live up in Fremont, you can get on an interstate, Interstate 80, 
And if you want, you can drive east 660 miles to New York City. Or if you prefer to go west, you can go west and drive 2,270 miles out to California. Ellen and I have driven Interstate 80 in both directions. We've gone east to New York City, and we've gone out west all the way to California. And we've enjoyed going in both directions. This is a big country, and it's got a lot of beautiful scenery to see. And you can meet a whole lot of really nice people. We've enjoyed our travels along Interstate 80, going both east and west. And uh, since we live so close to it up there in Fremont, as I see the traffic going east and west on Interstate 80, I sometimes wonder how far have those people traveled. Perhaps some of them have come all the way from California, and now they're passing through Indiana. Perhaps some of them have come all the way from New York, New York City, and now they're passing through Indiana on their way west. I've often wondered that, and I'm sure that's true of those who uh, drive the trucks up and down the interstates and across this country. Yet no matter how far we may go on our trips and our travels, we can never outdistance God's love for us. The Lord's love travels the longest road, and the Lord's love always goes the greatest distance. It traveled the longest road from heaven down to Bethlehem nearly 2,000 years ago, and it walked the hardest of roads from Nazareth to Calvary. The Lord's love is our constant comfort along life's journey. It's there through thick and thin. It's there in good times and bad, during our celebrated victories and our most crushing of defeats. It's there for us in our times of greatest joy and happiness, and yes, in our deepest of sorrows. In Jeremiah 31.3, God told his people, Yea, I have loved thee with an ever Lasting love. And the Lord promises us, as his people, that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Now, as we travel through life, we need to remember that. Because there's some parts of life which are very rough and tough. And yet, when we travel along those Times in life when it is rough, when it is tough, when it's hard and rocky, let's remember that God loves us. And his love is eternal and always there throughout our journey with his son and our savior, Jesus Christ. So we have taken a look at the width of God's love. We've taken a look at the length of our Lord's love. How about the depth of our Lord's love? God's love descends downward. Downward into the deepest of valleys. Whatever those valleys may be, whatever form they take. 
David expressed it so well in Psalm 23, 4, when he said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. All of us will travel through many a dark, dreary, and difficult valley on our journey through this life. Eventually, each one of us will cross Death Valley. There are no exemptions. No exemptions from the heartbreaking experiences of sadness and sorrow encountered as we live life in this world. Think about those first century Christians for a moment. Many of our Christian brothers and sisters who lived in the first century were severely persecuted. Many were imprisoned. And yes, many were killed for their faith in God and Jesus Christ and their stand that they made for the gospel. They experienced valleys as they lived the Christian life. And we too will experience our own valleys as we live for the Lord. Even so, when the events of this life lead us down into those valleys, again, we must remind ourselves and remember that God still loves us. Just because we experience adversity, Just because sadness and grief and sorrow intrude upon our life and deprive us of some happiness. Just because bad things happen to good people doesn't mean that God quit loving us. God does love us. He's always loved us. He always will. And he's promised that he'll always be with us. And in time... On his schedule, not ours, he will guide us safely across, upward and out of those valleys to a much better, brighter, and more beautiful day. But what about the height of our Lord's love? God's love can climb the highest of mountains. After enduring the ridicule and mockery of a sham trial, shamefully conducted by the Jewish religious rulers, Jesus was condemned to death and led out of Jerusalem to a hill called Calvary. There God's only begotten Son was nailed to an old rugged Roman cross and lifted up above an angry and jeering crowd to suffer and die by crucifixion. But in so doing, God's only begotten Son, Jesus, became our Savior. And its spiritual significance, the hill of Calvary, far surpasses the majestic snow-covered heights of Mount Everest, Mount Denali, or Mount Rainier. Let's hear how Paul describes it in Romans chapter 5, beginning with verse 8. 
Paul writes and he tells us in Romans 5, starting with verse 8, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What a powerful statement, proclaiming God's love for us, found there in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. God commendeth his love toward us, his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God hates sin. Make no mistake about it, God hates sin. But he loves sinners, and he wants us to be saved. And so it was, he gave his son Jesus to come into this world to live a perfect life, and then to die a terribly cruel death by crucifixion, to become the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. Paul goes on to say, as we pick up the reading with verse 9, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. We know the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. As we think about the height of our Lord's love, high atop the most prominent mountain peak of God's great love stands that blood-stained cross of Jesus Christ. There are many hymns in our hymnal that we sing that remind us of that. They tenderly and lovingly recall what Jesus did At the cross to save us from Satan, sin, death, and eternal torment in hell. Because of God's great love and Jesus' ultimate sacrifice demonstrating that great love, we can climb life's rough and rugged mountain slopes and ascend ever onward and upward and eventually enter in that heavenly home. In that paradise home of the soul, safe and secure with God, Jesus, the blessed, the saved, the redeemed of all ages, there is no more evil, only goodness. There is no more sadness, only Joy and happiness. There's no more sickness or illness, only perfect health. There's no more death, only eternal life. There's no more fighting and wars, arguing and quarreling, only unending peace that passes understanding. 
There's no more hatred. Only love, love, love. And as God said to his people in Jeremiah, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13, we, we being those of us who are the Lord's people, we, according to his promise, God's promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. And in this heavenly home, we're going to enjoy eternally and forevermore all of the wonderful blessings God's promised to us in the gospel of his Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, today we've taken a look at the dimensions of our Lord's love. We see that it spans the widest ocean. It travels the longest road. It descends down into the deepest valley. And it climbs the highest mountain. Knowing the dimensions of the Lord's love, Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. How much are we loved by God, our Heavenly Father? How much are we loved by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Paul says nothing can separate us from their love. Today, if you're not enjoying beautiful blessings of the Lord's love in your own life, then I want to invite you to come and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior by believing and obeying his soul-saving gospel. Living and dying as a Christian brings us God's best blessings as we make our journey with Jesus through this life and brings us his most beautiful Blessings eternally and forevermore if we'll be faithful and true and living for our Lord. If you're not experiencing in your own life the love of the Lord, this is your opportunity to begin. An invitation hymn has been selected. We're going to stand together and sing it as a congregation. And if there's anyone here who wishes to respond to the call of Christ and God's love upon your life, then I invite you to come right now as together we stand and sing this song for your encouragement.